The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 101. This is a Psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Coming soon to a renewed world near you. Let's see, we are in Leviticus. We're going to do the whole chapter today. Leviticus 9, 1 through 24. And it's actually going to be a little shorter than most sermons. Um, the reason why is because it's a lot of repetition of what we've already gone through. And I'm not going to repeat the symbolism in any great detail. But this is entitled, The Glory of the Lord Will Appear to You. Leviticus 9, verse 1. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And speak to the children of Israel. You shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burnt with fire outside the camp. And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, <clears throat> and he burned them on the altar. Then he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. 
and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. And the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail, what covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. And they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burned the fat on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The Bible says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. I try to remember that whenever I see something which we might think of as ugly. If we see a spider, we might freak out a little bit, knowing what it might do. If it's poisonous, it could bite and either make us really sick or even kill us. If it's not poisonous, it could still bring us pretty quickly out of a dead sleep. And so mostly people don't think of spiders as beautiful. And yet, if we look really closely at them, we might see colors which are magnificent. We might see capabilities that simply astonish us. We might find an intelligence that we could only describe as beautiful. God made them, and so they bear their own beauty, which he alone determined. The same is true with anything, anything that God has created. It bears a special mark of beauty that we can perceive if we just look A person with a physical deformity might be the most pleasant soul in the world. We would find them beautiful despite their outward appearance. A dead tree might not seem particularly beautiful at first sight, but the more you look at it, you'll find things that mark it out as a wonderful sight to the eyes. In one way or another, if we just look carefully, we're bound to see beauty in everything that we look at that God has placed in our path. I try my best to think this way, and it often helps me change my attitude about things. But I never leave it there. When I see the beauty in something, I try to transfer my gratitude back to the Lord. As he is the source of all things, then anything which I appreciate as having beauty had to come from him in the first place. And I know where that came from. It came from my mother, because she is deathly afraid of snakes. And yet when we were young... And a snake would come around us. She would stop and she'd say, look at, look at how it's moving. And look at how graceful it is. And look at, and she would, standing there horrified at what's next to her, she would say these things. And so now I have no fear of snakes at all. And if you know what happened to me in Malaysia, there's proof of that. I, uh, I don't know if I ever told this story. I, if I have, I apologize for repeating it. But I uh, was in Malaysia and there was a snake in my garden as I was working. It was a cobra. And uh, I, I thought, I don't want to kill this thing. And so I took a shovel and I put it on the back of its head. And then I grabbed it behind the neck and I picked it up to throw it into the, the uh, woods. And unfortunately, it was a king cobra. And king cobras are one of the spitting snakes. And so here I have it. I look at it and it spit in my eye and it put me in the hospital for two days. And it almost killed me because if it gets into the tear duct of your eye, it goes straight to your brain and it kills you. And so, uh, you know, something that mom taught me as good turned out to be not so good in some ways. But it also came out as good in another way because I always had about 20-20 vision um, right from the time I went in the military. But when I came out, my right eye had 20-10 vision. He said, you have, he, he called it um, binocular vision or something. He said, I've never seen somebody, with, no, it was 1510. I'm sorry, it was 1510. He said, I've never seen anybody with an eye that's so precise. And I said, well, that's the eye that got 
you know, uh, the whole top of the eye got burned off by the acid of the snake and it grew back. And he said, well, you grew back a new lens and it came back better than original. So something good came out of it. But anyway, we want to look for the beauty in everything that we see. And I want to thank my mom for having taught me that snakes aren't that bad after all. But our text verse today comes from Hebrews chapter 10. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. If you were in Israel and saw the parts of an animal lying on an altar, you might question where is the beauty in that. It's just a pile of once living animal that's going up in smoke. But if you considered what that sacrifice meant, then you might say, isn't that beautiful? God has allowed my sins to be taken away in this offering. Or you might say, the Lord has allowed me to fellowship with him through this offering. For the faithful believer in the Lord's word, the sacrifices and offerings would be a truly beautiful thing. And for us, if we think about what they pointed to, we can see the beauty in them as well. Instead of thinking about the brutality of an animal offering, we can see the mercy of God bestowed upon undeserving people. He created both and he determined which was more important and which was of less value. And that then leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. What is the most horrifying thing that could ever have happened, ever, is also the most beautiful thing that could ever have occurred. God saw the death of Jesus Christ was of less value than the redemption of man. That may seem impossible, but his death had to happen for man to be redeemed. And because he, in fact, went to the cross, then we know that he weighed out the cost, set the plan in motion, and carried through with the execution of it. Today, we will see the glory of the Lord as it was revealed to the Israelites at the initiation of the Aaronic priesthood. But that glory is insignificant in comparison to the glory which God revealed when he stepped out of his eternal realm and came to dwell among us. The things he did, the life he lived, and the cross he died upon demonstrate a glory which has sustained his church with a passion that has lasted for 2,000 years, and it is only leading to a far, far greater glory in the time yet ahead. Every chapter of the Bible is another stepping stone which is leading us on a marvelous trip back to paradise. If we can just learn what is in each chapter and what each verse is showing us along the way, it brings sense to what would otherwise seem irrelevant. Nothing in this beautiful word is irrelevant. Wonderful, beautiful things are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again and may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is sacrifices before the Lord. It's verses one through seven. Verse one, it came to pass on the eighth day. Seven days of ordination have taken place. This is probably the eighth day also of the first month, the month of Aviv. In Exodus 40, verse 17, we read this. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. It is probable that the ordination of the priests began on that day as well. The Passover would be coming on the 14th of the month, and so this leaves just a few days for Aaron and his sons to perform their duties in that function. 
In Scripture, the number eight is always used very consistently. In Hebrew, it is shmone, which comes from a root which means to make fat or to cover with fat. Thus, it signifies that which is superabundant. As seven is spiritual perfection, then in eight, there is that which begins a new series, and so eight is the number of new beginnings. The eighth day is set aside for the perfecting and purifying of both man and beast. When a child is circumcised, it is on the eighth day. When a leper is cleansed from his affliction, he is considered purified on the eighth day. The same is true with other such things. The eighth day is that of perfecting and purifying. And so, like each of these examples, Aaron and his sons have been purified and now are considered perfected for the object of performing their priestly duties. Here on the eighth day of the process, and probably on the eighth day of the first month as well, they enter into their new beginnings. Verse 1 continues, that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. The elders are called as representatives of all the people below them. They are probably the same people who are called in verse 8-3 to observe the ordination process as representatives of all of the congregation. (laughs) Verse 2, And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. Of those just mentioned in verse 1, Aaron is addressed first. He is to bring an Egel ben Bakar, or a calf son of the herd, as a sin offering, and an Ayil, or ram, as a burnt offering. The fact that he was required to make a sin offering, even after having been ordained, shows us the imperfection of the Aaronic priesthood. One whose ministry is imperfect can never make others perfect. We need to remember that. The agel, or calf, is the same as the adjective agol, which means circular or round. The reason is that a calf, especially one that is nearly fully grown, will frisk around, dancing and twirling. The mental imagery of this is beautifully seen in Malachi 4, verse 2. It says there, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. The ayil, or ram, has been seen before, and it is an animal which denotes strength. The reason for sacrificing a calf rather than a bull, which was used during their ordination, is debated. The only other time the calf has been seen in the Bible is in the instance of the golden calf, of which Aaron was a participant. Further, the only other time it will be mentioned in the five books of Moses is in Deuteronomy chapter 9, where it will twice refer once again to the instance of the golden calf. It will be the animal which the witch of Endor prepares as Saul's last meal. And it will describe the golden calves fashioned by Jeroboam, king of Israel, in defiance of the Lord up in the land of Israel. Out of 35 uses of this word in the Bible, it is seen in a positive way only a few times, such as in Isaiah or Malachi, each of which speaks of youthful exuberance. For this reason, and because Moses is still giving the instruction for the rites, I would suggest that this Egel ben Bakar, or calf son of the herd, is being used to show the youthful and thus the immature nature of the Aaronic priesthood. Thus he is reflective of Israel, who as a whole remained in a state of youthful disobedience until Christ would come and initiate the new covenant in his blood. Such is the nature of the ordination of Israel's high priest under the law of Moses and on behalf of the people. 
Only in Christ would they grow into mature adulthood. The ram as a burnt offering reflects the total commitment of Aaron, his natural strength being offered to God as a living sacrifice. In picture, it looks to Christ who offered all of his natural strength to his father in his more perfect ministry. Verse 3, And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying... It is generally accepted by scholars that this is speaking about Aaron. After his sacrifices and offerings, he is now the official high priest, and therefore it is he who would, from this point on, speak to the people concerning priestly matters. Verse 3 continues, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering. This is the same offering as was instructed for a ruler of the people in verse 423. It is a sayir izim, or hairy goat. In scripture, hair denotes awareness, but more specifically, it denotes an awareness of sin. Thus, the hairy goat is used as a symbol of the consciousness of sin. This goat then pictures Christ, who came to die for the awareness of sin in fallen man. He is the sin offering for all who acknowledge their sin, because they are conscious of it. In this case, it is the elders of the people who are accountable to God for themselves and those under them. Verse 3 continues, And a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering. Two animals are required for the burnt offering. The first is an agel, the same as Aaron's sin offering. The other is a kabes, or a lamb. The agel, or calf, would carry the same meaning as before. It is an indication of the youthful and thus immature nature of the priesthood. It reflects Israel, who remained in a state of youthful disobedience until the coming of the new covenant. The kabes, or lamb, comes from a root which means to dominate, and so it symbolizes Christ's dominion over sin. Thus, he is an acceptable offering to God. Verse 4, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. These as peace offerings were already explained in chapter 3. The bull, the ram, and the accompanying grain offering were to be presented. The peace offering signifies the approval of the other offerings and the symbolic dining together with the Lord and them. Verse 4 continues, For today the Lord will appear to you. This is actually in the Hebrew in the past tense. For the Lord has appeared unto you. The words are given as an accomplished fact even though it has not yet happened. The Lord will manifest himself in a special way to signify his approval of the inauguration of the Aaronic priesthood. It is the same past tense as is seen, for example, in Psalm 102, verse 16, where it says, For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in glory. The words are actually an anticipatory look to Christ, who rose on the day after the seventh day, or on the eighth day. It was then that he appeared to his people, signifying the new beginnings that had taken place, God having approved of his more perfect priestly ordination. Verse 5, So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. This duty is now carried out by Aaron. He is acting as the priest now, just as Moses had instructed. The term all the congregation means the elders who stood as representatives of the congregation. Others who were not elders may have come in, but the term specifically speaks of the elders noted back in verse 1. Verse 6, then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. Moses now speaks of things which will come to pass. Thus, when they do, it will be proof of the Lord's approval. 
in performing his required sacrifices and offerings, he would then be considered as the fully installed high priest. In turn, he would then be acceptable to perform the priestly functions for the congregation who had brought their offerings. In turn, the Lord would appear to the people to confirm the entire process. Verse 7, And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them, as the Lord commanded. As the consecrated priest, Aaron is still required to offer for his sin to make atonement for himself. If no other verse in Scripture and there are many of them. We've seen them, and we're going to continue to see them. But if no other verse shows us the fallible nature of the Aaronic priesthood, this one right here shouts it out to us. The high priest of Israel, who has gone through an elaborate ordination process, must still sacrifice for his own sins. Thus, despite being the mediator between the people and God, he stands on the same level as the people in regard to his manhood. Only after his sins are atoned for can he then offer the offering of the people for their atonement. The glory of the Lord will appear to you. With your own eyes you shall see this. As he has spoken, so he shall do. The glory you see will fill you with heavenly bliss. At times the Lord's glory comes in an awesome display. At times it is revealed in something we may actually miss. But if we pay attention day unto day, the glory we see will fill us with heavenly bliss. In the creation, he has shown his glory to us. And in his word, we find glory that was once concealed. And oh, what glory when we behold Jesus. In his face is God's glory fully revealed. In his face is glory that none can miss. It is glory that shall fill us eternally with heavenly bliss. Our second thought today is Aaron's offerings. It's verses 8 through 14. Verse 8. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Aaron himself is the one to bring the knife to the animal of the sacrifice. In this, we see that the offering is offered and the mediator is the one to slay it. It looks forward to Christ who willingly gave himself as our sin offering. As he said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Verse 9, then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him. The atonement here is for Aaron, but it is also for his sons who have collected the blood of the animal. What seems curious to me is that it speaks of sons, plural, rather than a son. One would think one son would hold the bowl and collect the blood, but it says the sons brought the blood to him. As Aaron pictures Christ, so the sons of Aaron picture the redeemed who are the sons of God through faith. That's Galatians 3.26. Each must, by faith, Bring the blood of the sacrifice. We must individually come to Jesus Christ. Verse 9 continues, And he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, and poured the blood at the base of the altar. Aaron dips his finger in the blood and puts it on the horns of the brazen altar. In chapter 4, when a high priest sinned, he was required to bring the blood into the holy place and sprinkle it before the veil. He was then to put it on the horns of the altar of incense there in the holy place. This verse then shows us two things. First, this is for Aaron's sin nature rather than a specific sin. And secondly, he does not yet have access into the holy place. That is now obtained through this general sin offering. It is the altar, the brazen altar, which allows access through the door of the tent of meeting. 
from here on, he will have this access. The blood being placed upon the four horns of the altar typifies Christ's blood, which has the power to cleanse and forgive sin, even to the four corners of the earth. The pouring out of this blood is typical of Christ who shed all of his blood, even to death. Verse 10, but the fat, the kidneys and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The words, as the Lord had commanded Moses, are in accordance with the instructions for the sin offering of verse 410. These parts, as we have seen, represent the abundance of the very deepest parts of Christ the man. The fat is the abundance and health of life. The kidneys signify the mind and reasoning, and the fat lobe above the liver represents the emotions and feelings of the person. These then were to be offered to the Lord because they symbolized his most intimate aspects. They are the very substance of who he is, and so they are returned as a fragrant offering to God by fire. A point of clarity, it says that he burned these things on the altar. It will say this again several times. It means that he placed them on the altar in anticipation of their being burnt. The consequence of the action is placed before the antecedent in this case. This is not unknown in scripture. This can be further deduced from the next words. Verse 11, the flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. This is, again, in accord with the disposal of an animal used as a sin offering for the high priest. It would be unacceptable for the animal to be eaten. In his cleansing, the body of the animal bore the sin of the mediator. Thus, it needed to be purged from the camp entirely. It says here that he burned these things with fire outside the camp. This would logically be done after the ordination ceremony. Though all things are accomplished, they are not necessarily accomplished in the order which is stated here. Verse 12, And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. The next animal to be slain is the burnt offering. Once sin is atoned for, then one can give himself up wholly to God. This is the order in the sacrifices, and it is also the order in salvation and sanctification for the believer in Christ. Verse 13, then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. The word translated here as presented in verses 12 and 13 is not the same as has been used in the past passages. It should say they handed him the blood and the burnt offering, okay? They are right there with him, and the animal has already been brought forward and killed. They merely process the animal and hand it to Aaron. I'm just telling you that because they're translating two different words the same way, and I don't like that. They need to show what's going on because everything is pointing us to Christ. Verse 14, and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. As we have seen, and without a lot of elaborate detail, this washing of the entrails is symbolic of the inward purity of Christ. The washing of the legs is symbolic of his perfect life, having picked up no worldly defilement. This is to be emblematic of this same conduct in the lives of Aaron and his sons. An offering for sin, atonement for what we have done wrong. It covers over those things which have offended our Lord. Though sin besets us and its power is strong, with the sin offering we are again in one accord. Through the blood of our Savior we can fellowship again. It washes away all that we have done wrong. And it is available to all of the children of men. Because of Christ Jesus we have a new and heavenly song. Thank you, O God, for what you have done for us. When we were lost in sin and objects of wrath just the same, 
You sent your son, our Lord Jesus, to atone for our sin, and so we praise your holy name. Our third thought today is the people's offerings. It's verses 15 through 24. Verse 15, then he brought the people's offerings and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. As he had made an offering for his own sin, he was now acceptable to act as mediator for the people. Therefore, their sin offering can now follow his. The order is carefully detailed to show us how the redemptive process works. One must have an acceptable mediator before they can then be made acceptable. The remains of this particular goat were to be eaten by Aaron and his sons because they dealt with the sin of the congregation, not their own, and because the animal's blood was never carried within the holy place. However, what becomes of this animal will not be according to that mandate, Rather, it will be a temporary source of consternation for Moses. This is going to be seen in chapter 10. Verse 16, And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. After the sin offering of the people was made, only then could their burnt offering be accepted. This follows the same pattern as that of Aaron and his sons, and indeed all such offerings. Verse 17, Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. There are two lambs which were to be offered on the altar every day. This is the burnt sacrifice of the morning, which was mandated by the Lord way back in Exodus 29. This verse seems to show that the grain offering which Aaron had in his hand is now burnt along with that regular morning offering. That is incorrect. The daily offerings would have been offered by Moses until the time of Aaron's ordination. Moses would have already offered the morning offering along with that offering, a grain offering was to be presented each day. Moses would have already offered it. But it is possible that the morning offering was also waiting to be burnt with the Lord's initial fire. We don't know that, but this is just a different offering than the morning burnt offering. Aaron is now taking a handful of the grain mentioned in verse 4 and placing it on the altar with the other offerings required in this chapter. This grain offering is in addition to the one already given in the morning as an offering. It is not a part of it. Verse 18, he also killed the bull and the ram as a sacrifice of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. The procedures for this burnt offering are found in verse 3, 1. As per the directions noted there, Aaron now carefully follows through with them. Verse 19, and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail, what covers the entrail and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. An entirely new word is introduced here, mikase. It's seen just four times in scripture and it means a covering. This is the only time that it's used to indicate the fat which covers the kidneys. However, it is to be taken as synonymously with the fat parts which are seen in other passages that we've already looked at. These choice parts of fat all picturing Christ, as we have seen numerous times, are removed from the animal. Verse 20, And they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burned the fat on the altar. The breasts were a part of the wave offerings which were reserved for the priests. The fat would be placed on them, they would be waved, and then they would be burned on the altar. Verse 21, But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as Moses had commanded. Though the fat is already said to be burnt, it isn't actually burned until after the wave offering is made. 
further. As I said some time ago, all of the offerings will be burned at the same time when the Lord's fire ignites them. Verse 22, then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, bless them. Aaron has now completed the functions necessary to show that he is fully installed as high priest. He has had his sins atoned for, and he has mediated on behalf of the people as well. The offerings are laid out and are about to be burned to the Lord. In honor of this moment, where he has demonstrated his authority to mediate, he now confirms it by blessing the people. The Bible notes that the lesser is blessed by the greater. It is now his honor to serve in this special office. And so he lifts his hands and blesses the people. The blessing would be something similar to the high priestly blessing, which will be given in Numbers chapter 6. But it's fantasy to assume that he would have given that exact same blessing before it was ever instructed. One tradition says that the words of Psalm 90, verse 17, closely reflect what Aaron had said. Here's those words. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is not unlikely because it is the oldest psalm in the Bible and it's the only one penned by Moses. When a blessing is given, the one blessing would place their hands on the head of the one being blessed. However, when blessing a congregation, the symbolism is maintained by raising the hands above the heads of the people and pronouncing the blessing. This act of Aaron, which acknowledges his right to bless the people as their mediator, is a mere shadow of the blessing which was given by Christ to his people when it was revealed to them that he is the true mediator of God's people. That's recorded in Luke 24, verse 50. It says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Verse 22 continues, And came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. The words came down are misinterpreted by most scholars. They say that the altar was elevated above ground level. This is incorrect. The law of the earthen altar, which is found at the giving of the Ten Commandments, mandates that a ramp and not steps be used to go up to it. But that has nothing to do with the brazen altar. The words came down have one of two possible meanings. It either means that there was a frame upon the altar which the priest would stand on in order to place the offerings on it, which is unlikely. It was only three cubits tall, which is about four and a half feet. More likely, it means that he is nearer to the tent of meeting than the people. Okay, And so when he leaves the altar and approaches the people, he would be coming down not in elevation, but in place of importance. Verse 23, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting. There is no explanation concerning these words. All we can do is speculate as to what occurred inside the tent. Having said that, it can be inferred that the transfer of the priestly duties is completed in this act. Aaron has never before gone in as priest. Moses will never go in again as priest. Moses probably repeated the instructions which had been given while visually pointing everything out, and they probably also presented themselves to the Lord at the altar of incense before the veil and prayed while there. As I said, this is all speculation, but they're going in, if nothing else, has the purpose of showing that Aaron is accepted as high priest. It is an acceptance which will be validated moments after they come out. Verse 23 continues, and came out and blessed the people. This is probably a blessing spoken in unison, possibly repeating what Aaron had already spoken. 
Again, what is unstated can only be speculated upon. However, their blessing upon the people now ushers in a new sight for the people. Verse 23 continues, Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. As with the previous two clauses, we can only speculate what this means. Does the glory come from the pillar of cloud, from inside the tent of meeting, or is it a separate manifestation of him? It doesn't say, but it was there, and the Bible records that the people personally saw it. Verse 24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. The words are careful to note that the fire came out from the Lord. It cannot be interpreted as liberal scholars love to say things like this, that somehow Moses and Aaron simply went into the presence of the Lord, made a fire to ignite the sacrifice and came out and lit the thing. Don't listen to that kind of argument by these liberal scholars. Rather, the fire came from the Lord consuming the offerings. It is a note of divine approval, which is seen elsewhere in scripture. And the offering didn't just burn. Rather, the word akal, which means to consume, should be taken in its most literal sense. There are five other explicit times when something similar occurred during the acceptance of an offering, and one which may be inferred. The first, which must be inferred, would be the acceptance of Abel's offering over that of Cain. It says in the Bible that the Lord accepted Abel's offering and he didn't accept Cain's. Well, how do we know? Probably there was a visual demonstration of it by going down and consuming it. We're speculating here, okay? The next comes right here in Leviticus chapter 9. No speculation needed. Then in the case of Gideon's offering, which is in Judges chapter 6, This is followed by the offering of Manoah and his wife in Judges chapter 13. Then comes the offering given by David when dedicating the threshing floor of Onan in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And then comes the dedication of Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And finally, in the case of Elijah's offering in 1 Kings chapter 18. At various times in redemptive history, the Lord would provide a visible confirmation of his intents and purposes and divine approval by sending out fire in order to accept an offering made to him. The people of Israel at Moses' time were blessed to have such a visible demonstration of his approval, and yet they quickly forgot what they saw, and they treated his glory with a special irreverence, which has marked their character for the past 3,500 years. Because of this, they have suffered greatly. But the day is ahead when they will come to see and know the Lord in a much deeper way than they ever have before. That will be the day when they call out to Jesus, as the 118th Psalm says, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 24 finishes with these words, When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. At least for the moment, the people realized what they had seen and accepted it for what it truly was, a divine miracle. This is now the very first time that the word Ranan is used in the Bible. And I'm so happy it came during this sermon because I was talking to Sergio and Rhoda this past week on FaceTime. And while I was talking to him, my old friend Yossi, who I met, he came to visit us here showed up at their house. And when he came in, they said, oh, you know, I've been at the hospital and see my new baby that's born this week. And I said, what's the baby's name? And he gave me this name like, um, I can't remember, but it's based on this word. And I said, do you know where that word comes from? And he says, no. I said, it comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 9, verse 24, right off the top of my head. And he's thinking, man, this guy is a great scholar. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so I read him the verse, and I said, this is where her name comes from. So anyway, it, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, information about it. It means more than just to shout, but to shout for joy. It will be used mostly in the Psalms and Isaiah concerning shouting to the Lord with joy or shouting for joy because of the works of the Lord. And that's why he named his daughter Joy. He's shouting for joy over it. And he was all excited to hear that from me. Here in these verses today, we have seen the installation of a man born in sin and who also died in sin. And each of those who followed after him inherited sin from him as well. And even more, the man who installed them, Moses, was a fallible, sin-filled man. Despite his high and exalted status within the nation, he was not exempt from death because he was imperfect. The question we can ask is, how can perfection come out of imperfection? There is an answer to that question, but it is not found in the law of Moses or in the priesthood which administered that law. Nothing perfect ever resulted from it. Instead, it simply highlighted the imperfection of those who were under it. However, perfection can come out of imperfection if there is something perfect to initiate the process. And this is what God did in Christ Jesus. He, being perfect in all ways, sent his perfect son to accomplish the task. Every detail we have seen in today's verses, and even in all of what we have seen so far in Leviticus, exactingly points us to him. God is directing us to think on the purpose of the law, the giving of his son, and the difference between the two. Let us not fall short by trusting in a law which could never perfect anyone. It could never save anyone. Instead, let us put our hope in Christ Jesus alone. And I'm speaking specifically to people that may be interested in listening to sermons about the book of Leviticus because they're into this Hebrew roots movement thing. And they've seen what Jesus Christ has done, they've heard all of what he's done, and yet they go and they reinsert the law into their theology. And somebody emailed me a week ago, and she said, well, I I, want to know, I understand the Hebrew Roots movement is bad, but there's a church here, the guy is into this, but he says that he doesn't obligate you to not eat bacon or anything. He says, but it's good to observe the feasts of the Lord, and it's good to observe his Sabbath and all this. And she said, what do you think? And I said, What is good about adding to what Christ has already done? Christ is the fulfillment of these things. If it was good to continue doing them, he would have said continue doing them. Instead, the New Testament completely and entirely dismisses these things. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Do not do that. If you do that, then you will be a debtor to the whole law. On and on and on, we need to trust in Christ alone. We're looking at the law not because we want to reinsert the law into our life. We're looking at the law to see the superiority of Jesus Christ over this law, the magnificence of what he did, because we have 4,000 different sacrifices that we've looked at over the past nine chapters, and he is the fulfillment of every one of them, and he's not only the fulfillment of them, he's the fulfillment of every detail of every one of them. You've seen word after word after word after word, which can only be pointing to something fulfilled in Christ. We've seen this hundreds, maybe thousands of times in nine chapters, and we're going to see more and more. You wait until we get to the dietary laws. I think it's chapter 13, which I've already typed. You're not going to believe Christ is on every single verse, 20 times sometimes. You're not going to believe it. It is astonishing that God is trying to get us to look past this law into Jesus Christ, who came, who lived the life that you and I cannot live, who gave his life up in exchange for our sins and says, believe Believe and you will receive. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. 
That's all that God asks of you is to have enough faith to put aside these deeds of the law, to stop trying to be super impressive before God by doing things that Christ already did for us. He's already done it. If you want to go watch a Passover cedar because it's interesting, no problem. You can learn what the Jewish people did. If you observe a Passover cedar because you think you're pleasing God by doing it, you have fallen from grace. He fulfilled it. Okay? Call on Jesus and be reconciled to God through his shed blood. Our closing verse today comes from Psalm 40. It's verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Next week is Leviticus 10, is verses 1 through 7. The law's instructions should not be ignored. It's entitled, Profane Fire Before the Lord. That'll be our 14th Leviticus sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and purify you completely and wholly. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. All right? I got a poem for you today based on these 24 verses. It's entitled, We Beheld His Glory. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons also, and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron these words, as we know, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering, according to this word, without blemish shall be this proffering, and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, so do. And a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering, as I instruct you. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, as to you I now say. And a grain offering mixed with oil, for the Lord will appear to you today. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near, and stood before the Lord, awaiting his greeting. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. So shall you do with this proffering. Offer the offering of the people and make for them atonement, as the Lord commanded. This is your solemn assignment. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself, in this duty, he did not falter. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, and poured the blood at the base of the altar, a crimson flood. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar, so was the pyre. As the Lord had commanded Moses, the flesh and the hide he burned outside the camp with fire. Then he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, a second crimson flood. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burnt them on the altar too. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burnt them with the burnt offering on the altar, as instructed to do. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, as was said to be done, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. <coughs> And he brought the burnt offering as described and offered according to the manner prescribed. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burnt it on the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. In his duties, he did not fail or falter. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings 
which for the people were, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. And the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail, what covers the entrails and the kidneys too, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts as instructed to do. Then he burnt the fat on the altar, but the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded by and by. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and down he came from the offering of the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings, according to each name. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people a solemn word. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar as well. When all the people saw it, they shouted, and on their faces they fell. Lord God, Israel beheld your glory, and they saw the fire come forth from you. But that is just a taste of the magnificent story which speaks of your glory through and through. And an even greater glory was seen by the blessed eyes of those who beheld the coming of Christ Jesus. And someday we too shall behold him when in the twinkling of an eye he comes for us. And for the ages of ages, we shall see your glory shining out through him unto us. Our joy will be full for all eternity as we behold our magnificent Lord, radiant and glorious. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story, which is certainly 100% truth. It happened exactly as your word proclaims, just as the Tower of Babel story of chapter 11 of Genesis is true. Help us never to diminish your word the way that people are doing in this world today by tearing it apart and mocking you and saying things which are vulgar and perverse. Help us, Lord, to stand fast on this word and to cherish it and to love it and to understand that everything that we are seeing is pointing to something so glorious that our limited minds can't even comprehend it. We can't even comprehend the day when you come in all of your splendor and you have to glorify us for us to see you because of your magnificence. I can't wait for that day. I know that there are people sitting in their chairs right now ready to come out of their chairs. The second that trumpet sounds, they're going to jump, but I'm going to jump faster. I'm going to be in your presence so fast, Lord, I can't wait. Oh, may that be, day be soon. We love you. We praise you. We pray for all of the people that we brought up earlier, so many people with trials and troubles, and our brother Paul, who is struggling right now, we pray for him. And you'll give him strength and give him the ability to get out and do those handsprings he loves to do. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And before I get up, I'll tell you that uh, uh, if you see me when I was doing the blessing thing, uh, the reason why I do that is because that actually comes from uh, Leonard Nimoy, who is Jewish. And the reason why he did that is because he was in the synagogue as a boy, and he was told during the when the uh, priest would bless the people, he was told, never look at the priest when he's blessing you. He's going to bless you with the ironic blessing, and it's something that you're, you're to look down and not. But he looked, and the high priest was doing this. And this is the way the priests of Israel bless their people. They've done it for thousands of years. And so the Vulcan salute is actually the ironic high priestly blessing salute. So that's why I was doing that for you. So we'll go ahead and uh, take the Lord's Supper here and uh, reflect on that, huh?